Hey, this is Rob and that's Micaiah and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, the beginning of the end, our season four introduction episode. Micaiah, this is the opening to potentially our last season of the podcast. Before we get into it, what are your thoughts? I've been like really waiting for season. By the time we got into season three, I was really ready for season four. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like once we start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, it's like, okay, what what is our 100 going to be, though? Like once it actually became like, oh, we're actually going to come out with 100 albums. I was just so excited all throughout the last season to figure out what the next 25 were going to be. Maybe to the point where I didn't enjoy season three as much as I should have, because now that's like, oh, wow, we're we're almost done building this this thing that we've been working on for years. Uh, Season three, um, you know, I went through a pretty large uh, career transition. you bought a house and wrote a book. Uh, I mean, there's there's just a lot that changed. You know, uh, season three was also your first season as a married man. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of change that happened in season three. And I think that it did probably make it harder for both of us to have the energy and excitement for the podcast. But I think going into season four, knowing that kind of this is the end, of putting this hundred list together, um, I, I'm just really excited about this season, and I'm excited about the albums we're going to be talking about. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely like it's the opposite of senioritis. It's like okay, this is the last last go at it, so let's 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 finish strong, you know. Well, Micaiah, it's been four seasons of doing this, and we have kept the same approach that we have done each season, which is 50, where I nominate 50 albums, you nominate 50 albums, and we use the albums we have in common to kind of gather from as, here's what we're going to do. And this season, it being our last, there's a really interesting thing that is happening, which is for the first time in four seasons of the podcast, I've nominated 50 albums, you've nominated 50 albums, and we only had 23 in common, where either we both nominated the same album or we both nominated an album from the same artist. Mm -hmm. That being said, we're gonna do something we have never done before in the history of the podcast, Once we get to the end of this episode and we talk about the 23 albums or the 23 episodes that we have based on our common picks, you get to pick one album from your nomination list that I did not pick artist or album. And you get to say, hey, last season, I'm demanding this one's going to be on the list and I'm going to get to do the same. So we each get one pick kind of wild card choice here at the end but that being said micaiah what was your methodology 50 albums to nominate on our final season how did you approach it pretty much the same way i've done 
the previous season. So like I knew I didn't want like maybe one decade to dominate too much. So I, I definitely I knew that, you know, the best decades are the best. So, you know, I, I tried to shoot for 10 from the 60s, 10 from the 70s, 10 from the 80s, and then five from the following with the leftovers being from the 50s and the current decade. So the 2020s. Um, but then it came on, you know, then you start to look at it and you're like, okay, that that's that's fitting the methodology, but I think I got to cut this one from the 2000s and add one in the 90s. And I think I actually need to cut a couple maybe more recent albums to fit some from the 70s that are really calm. You know, so it's just like it came down to just kind of that that gut kind of just like, you know, sometimes sometimes just like I'm not 100% on that album. I'm not, I'm not maybe even 75% sure about that album, even if it's a classic album, but and being like, I gotta stay real and put on this Kurt Vile album from 2009 or something. You know what I mean? Just like, so there are gonna be some picks where I'm like, I know this isn't like canonically the best, but like, this is the last chance I get to represent something like this. So, you know, ones that I knew. That, I mean, that's the other thing. You, you For this one going in, it's just like, well, I know that half of these will not make it because I know Rob's taste. So I know which ones like don't really even have a shot. Um, but, you know, so really it's just like, well, then what do I just want to just say, Hey, you know, take, take a look at this album. You know, what, what, what are those records? Um, so there's, so there's a little bit of that, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty much the same though. So, um, but more than the others, maybe a little bit more of a combination of, what I think are absolutely the best and some that are just favorites that I believe deserve more recognition or, or hoping that over time we'll start to make these kinds of lists. How about you, Rob? Yeah. I I think going into this, knowing that this was going to be our last season talking about albums. So I, I really kind of, kind of stood back and looked at our list so far that the 75 that we have going into this season and went, all right, what are the, what are the albums that at this point I'm a little embarrassed we don't have on the list. And so I I did kind of go, man, how, how did we get to season four and we don't have this album on yet? How did we get to season four and this hasn't made it yet? So I, you know, look, my taste clearly shows, um, there are things I nominated that, um, that I truly, truly love, but it's also going, what do I love that is objectively great? And man, we probably can't look at ourselves in the mirror. If we're going to say that this is a top hundred all-time great albums and we don't have this album on. So that definitely played a role in, in my thinking as I was putting this list together. I think you're right to do that. I mean, there's definitely a bit of that in mind too. And I, I, I even want to do that a little bit more, uh, you know, and I wanted to do that with things like craft work where I'm like, Rob's not going to put it on there, but at the same time I was like, yeah, but I don't even really love it enough to put it on there, but I think it needs to be talked about at least. Um, so that's what this moment here is. Um, no, there's not going to be any craft work, but we all admit that craft work is foundational. So it was a group like Suicide or Frank Zappa 
Captain Beefheart, but they're they're just not going to be on our list. Yeah, Trout Trout Mask Replica for as many for as many music critics love it. Uh, Trout Mask Replica is not going to end up on our top one hundred. Though I did find a, a copy of it at a half price bookstore, an early reissue. I'm pretty proud of having in my possession. Nevertheless, great on the record shelf, but not for our podcast list. My smile is stuck. I cannot go back to your frown land. My spirit's made up of the ocean and the sky and the sun and the moon and all I can see. Your land of gloom, where black jagged shadows remind me of the coming of your doom. I want my own. Well, let's not take any more time, listener. We're so glad that you're with us. Micaiah and I are going to take turns decade by decade going through the list of albums we have each nominated. And then at the very end, we will share with you the list of 23 albums that we're going to talk about or 23 episodes we're going to have based on those two nomination lists. And then you will hear me and Micaiah's final picks to throw in to the podcast at the very end, at the 11th hour. Micaiah, why don't you start us off with the 1950s? It's going to be a real short one. For me, the 1950s, I have Howlin' Wolf's album Moanin' in the Moonlight, which is technically a compilation, um, but it's great. It's one of the great kind of blues records of all time from an artist who is very important. I teach Howlin' Wolf uh, for a little bit in my Intro to Humanities class when we cover the blues. I show you know some videos of him. Uh, so... This one is a. This is something that I've I've known since season one. Even though I think this is the first season I've nominated it, but I, I've known uh, pretty far back that I would be nominating this album, "Moaning in the Moonlight." I have two albums from the 1950s. Um, I, I would have had three. Uh, I had nominated a Frank Sinatra album the last two seasons and we had talked about it and I kind of knew that that kind of crooner style probably was never going to end up on your list. So I spent that pick on something else this season. So I have just like you, the 1959 compilation album from Helen Wolf, Helen at the moon and I also have what might be my second all-time favorite jazz album, Time Out, by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Of course, my favorite jazz album is Kind of Blue by Miles Davis, but my second favorite is the Dave Brubeck Quartet's Time Out from 1959. Uh, great songs. Of course, his uh, most famous piece, most well-known, Take Five, Blue Rondo a la Turk, uh, the Unsquare Dance, uh, so many great songs on Time Out. And uh, again, this is my last chance to talk about it since it won't be making our podcast. So a shout out to the Dave Brubeck Quartet in Time Out. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and you know, I, I was definitely thinking of you know Buddy Holly, the Chirping Crickets, the Crickets, and uh, Little Richard here. Um, but you know, I we I have another early rock and roll nomination. Plus, we have Chuck Berry, so it, it didn't seem necessary to kind of pad it to have like five percent of our list be just early rock and roll compilations really you know so it's just like eh, i don't i don't i i think that you know that we can celebrate those artists and kind of try try our best to make room for some some other albums personally so from the 1950s total we only have nominated two albums that's going to be very different as we enter into the 60s and 70s so mikhail Let's hear your list from the 1960s and give them to us in chronological order if you can. No problem. Um, uh, starting with uh, 1960 uh, by Muddy Waters live at Newport. Um, an incredible live record and another incredible blues record. Um, so we, we already did Robert Johnson, uh, but I, I had to represent for Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf. Uh, so not just the Delta blues style, but that that electric blues, that Chicago blues sound um, from from both of them. Uh, so I have Muddy Waters here from 1960, um, and then another jazz record. Um, so far, we only have Miles Davis. Um, first time nominating this album, uh, "The Black Saint and the Sinner Lady" by Charles Mingus from 1963, and then once again, I'm nominating, I believe, for the third or fourth time uh, presenting the fabulous Ronettes featuring Veronica by the Ronettes. Um, uh, next, uh, my favorite jazz record. This is my, I think my fourth time nominating this one, A Love Supreme by John Coltrane. Um, another pretty jazzy record, uh, Wild as the Wind by Nina Simone from 1966. I believe this is my third time nominating Songs of Leonard Cohen by Leonard Cohen. Uh, which is basically also the soundtrack to Robert Altman's McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Uh, and then I also have uh, Sweetheart of the Rodeo by The Birds. And then closing out the 60s from 1969, I have Arthur by The Kinks and Look a Pie Pie by The Meters. great albums all great albums yeah these these are all this is kind of like the like you were saying earlier like how are these not already on the list Mm -hmm. well rob why don't you give us yours from the 60s so we can know which of these are actually going to make the list yeah so uh, interestingly enough i have 12 albums from the 60s i have more albums than you do from the 60s um i I was able to stick to 10 on this one yeah that's my guns 
So I, I'll start for me. My first of the 60s is Ray Charles' 1962 album, The Modern Sounds in Country and Western Music. Um, a great album, one of three Ray Charles albums from, from about a two-year period um, that all are worthy of being on anyone's top 200 or 300 list. And felt uh, it felt like we couldn't have a top 100 without at least talking about one of these great Ray Charles albums. So uh, I went with the album that uh, combines not just great music, but perhaps one of the most iconic album covers of all time, uh, kind of introducing the world to Ray Charles. So Ray Charles' 1962 album, Modern Sounds in Country and Western Music, uh 1963 i have two albums so i also have charles mingus black saint and the sinner lady a great uh a great jazz album a top five jazz album for me and i also have from 1963 and i'm saying 1963 here because i'm going on the date of the live recording not when the album came out because there's so many variations of these recordings and of this album that have made their way on different mediums, uh, on different platforms, on different, uh, um, whether it's vinyl, whether it's tape, whether it's uh, CD, so many different versions of this have come out. I'm talking about Sam Cooke's live album, Live at the Harlem Square Club. A great live album. From 1964, I have The Ronettes featuring Veronica. Um, a great album. And uh, for as much as we've talked about punk music, as much as we've talked about groups like uh, the Beach Boys, and we've talked about uh, the Ramones, and we've talked about all these other acts, uh, it, it feels like we cannot have a complete list without having some classic early 60s girl groups. The start of the real wall of sound idea. And so there's so much music we've already talked about across the first three seasons that really would not exist were it not for this Ronettes album. And so we're going to talk about that this season also from 1964, the album that introduced most Americans to Brazilian music, the classic jazz album or samba album, whatever you call it, Gets Gilberto, uh, a great album that uh, you may be familiar with the song Girl from Impanipa. And uh, that, of course, is the big hit that came out of that album. But the whole album is a vibe. From 1965, I joined you in, again, nominating another one of my top five jazz albums, A Love Supreme. We love Miles Davis. Miles Davis got love on the very first season of the podcast. And it does beg the question, and I, I think we're in agreement in this, but because John Coltrane is a featured musician on Kind of Blue... Are we breaking our rule by nominating A Love Supreme by John Coltrane? And we can definitely talk about that later, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do that right now. Since he is not the primary author like of that record, I would say no. I mean, that's like saying, well, Peter Buck plays mandolin 
on I Will Dare on Let It Be by The Replacements. Can we have two albums with Peter Buck? You know, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's just not, not the same. It's not the same as having like a Beatles album and a Wings album. Yeah. Like, it's not, you know, it's, it's not that similar. But I, but I, we, the closest we've come to where I was just like, is this breaking our rule was Dr. Dre's The Chronic versus Straight Outta Compton by NWA. I was like, that, these two might be different enough. But, you know, so that, that one, that one was much more blurry in my mind. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think that just because Coltrane is featured on the Miles Davis record, you know, if if we had said, "Oh, this is kind of blue" by Miles Davis, Bill Evans, Cannibal Adderley, and John Coltrane, we didn't. We called it "kind of blue" by Miles Davis. So that that's kind of where I am with that. It's still so. I mean, it, so we we covered that album in the first season, but it's still so wild to me that there is an album that was ever made with that group of musicians together on on one album. It's it is it's why it's the best jazz album ever made so from 1966 i'm with you in nominating nina simone's wild is the wind uh and then i have no albums from 1967 but i have two from 1968 the birds sweetheart of the rodeo and an album that has not just kind of risen up my personal list in the last few years but truly an album that would not have made my top 300 two years ago and might be now in my top 50 albums of all time, The Zombies, Odyssey, and Oracle. Uh, a truly great album. Um, it is It is very much an album that is kind of playing on everything that came out in the Summer of Love, but in a really unique and interesting way that I've always appreciated uh, and have truly come to not just appreciate, but really deeply love. And from 1969, I have three albums to close out the sixties from the kinks, Arthur or the fall of the British empire. Is that the full name? The decline and fall of the The decline and fall of the British empire. I typically just call it Arthur but the Kinks, Arthur, or the Decline and Fall of the British Empire. Also from 1969, Dusty Springfield, Dusty in Memphis, because the only one who could ever please me was the son of a preacher man. And finally, closing out the 60s, the funkiest album, the grooviest album, maybe the album that holds up better than nearly anything else from the late 60s and very few people are familiar with. From the meters, look a pie pie.
Yeah, I feel like also I wanted to state that another record from the 50s that I wanted to include but just didn't make it was Shape of Jazz to Come by Ornette Coleman. But with Mingus and John Coltrane, I felt pretty sure making the list, I felt comfortable not including that one. And the only one I feel like I have to explain here for not having a Sam Cooke and having Otis Redding on there and having the live James Brown album on there. And because if I was going to put a Sam Cooke album, I, I would have done live at Harlem Square Club. But it's also such a weird record because Concert 63, the CD comes out in the 80s. There have been two more versions of the concert since then. It's just like it's such a complicated album to figure out what it actually is anyway. I, I don't and, and um, I don't know. It's just uh, there's just there was just something where I was just like I, I got to make room for for other things, but I mean we we've talked about Sam Cooke so much on the podcast already, like you know so I, I just I didn't feel the need. It was more important for me to have like Nina Simone "Wild as the Wind" than to also have Sam Cooke. No offense to Sam Cooke, I mean I'm we're we're on records. I'm on records to how much I like him, but um. Yeah, I think this is a, a good list of albums for us from the 60s. Um, I feel like we finally got away from the 60s in the last season, and now we're back real strong with 60s albums, um, So, which people love talking about anyway. Those are not hard episodes to get a guest for. People are always excited to talk about those classics. And I think, but I think that's also a big part of it is that there's a reason we call them classics. These are albums that when you're talking about a great album from the sixties, you're talking about a great album that at this point has, you know, we're talking 60, 60 or more years that some of these albums have been out. And so, you know, that they've stood the test of time. You, their, their path of influence is so easy to trace. Well, Micaiah, uh, like any collection of great music, the 1970s tends to dominate and one year in particular, 1971, the year that seemed to define popular music across the globe. So let's get into what surely will be our single most represented decade the 1970s, where I nominated 17 albums. Oh my gosh! For this season, how many did you do? Twelve. Twelve. And okay. Then, uh, I have each year represented. I might. I might. Let's let's go through. I'll, I'll start this time. Okay. So, beginning in 1970, I have Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young's "Deja Vu." I also have from 1970 Black Sabbaths. Paranoid from 1970 as well. The Grateful Dead's American Beauty from 1971. And there's a few from 1971. The Who, who's next? The Allman Brothers Band, Live at the Fillmore East, T Rex, an electric warrior, and Faces. With every picture tells a story with Rod Stewart leading the way on vocals. From 1972, the Harder They Come soundtrack, introducing so much of the world to reggae music 
with some of Desmond Decker and Jimmy Cliff's best music. Also from 1972, Nick Drake's Pink Moon. I have no albums from 1973, so I'm not representing every year of the 70s, but I do have at least one album from 1974, and it is Dolly Parton's Jolene. Of course, Dolly Parton wrote the song Jolene in the song I Will Always Love You on the Same Day. Imagine being that gifted of a songwriter. From 1976, Elvis Presley's Sun Sessions and Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers, the self-titled Modern Lovers. From 1977, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, Billy Joel's The Stranger, and television's Marky Moon. From 1978, the compilation Hank Williams' 40 Greatest Hits. I mean, nothing but classics there. I mean, all, all of those are worthy... through my 12 and you can interrupt me if you want as i go through these uh from 1970 i also have paranoid by black sabbath uh so all of our metal fans can you know shut up about it no we don't like metal we're not gonna have spoiler we're not gonna have kill them all or ride the lightning or master of puppets or the black album so our you know my apologies uh, so Zeppelin 4 is as close as you're going to get until we talk about Paranoid by Black Sabbath, which I'm really excited about, which is actually more of a blues rock record than a metal record, uh, which we, we will get into that. I'm very excited. Uh, from 1971, the John Prine debut self-titled album. Um, we're not going to get to talk about that. Um, so that would have been another country record. Uh, if I had had Code of Many Colors on here from 71, we would have had another country album. Uh, but I mean, I, this record is just Stone Cold Masterpiece, start to finish some of the best songs ever written. Um, so please forgive our list and listen to that record. Um, I From 1972 by T-Rex, I have The Slider. So this is going to be our first head-to-head so far that we've announced doing this uh, T-Rex's electric warrior versus the slider. All right. So uh, from 1973, I have dark side of the moon by pink Floyd, um, a very important album to me as a seventh grader um, that is still very good, but it's also one of those albums where like, I think I got into it a little too young. You know, I feel I feel like I was just made, like I feel like if I had gotten into it a little bit older, 
it would still mean more to me than it does. I feel the way about The Godfather too. Maybe fifth grade was too young. So like I kind of wore the movie out kind of early on in my movie going life. Um, anyway. Let me ask you this. It just for for the interest of full disclosure for our listeners, mm-hmm. have you ever done the dark side of the rainbow experiment? Have you ever Oh done, no. no watch Wizard, Wizard of Oz? No. No, no interest. I I didn't have no. Okay. I'll take people's word for it, but I also just like don't. I mean, it's like, oh, it looks cool. It's like, well, a lot of great music and images work well together, you know, and, and look like they're in sync and belong. Like, you know, setting setting a song to a video is not mind blowing. It's just sound and images just go together generally. Uh, pretty well uh anyway uh okay so from 1974 uh, on the beach by neil young so we're gonna have a weird head-to-head where it's deja vu crosby stills nash and young versus uncle neil's on the beach during his ditch period um so that's gonna be interesting interesting episode uh not where I saw, I, I would have bet that it would have been Harvest or On the Beach or after the Gold Rush and On the Beach, but so th- that's that's going to be exciting uh, to see how that plays out. Um, from 1975, Horses by Patti Smith, who I saw recently, and then it was one just an insane moment in my life where Patti Smith was covering Neil Young, but at the music festival that's put on by the national, but Michael Stein from REM was watching her in the wings where I could visibly see her or see him. So it's this like national music festival. Patty Smith is singing Neil Young. Michael Stipe is right there. I was just like, there's too much rock and roll happening right now. Like I couldn't, I, it was so overwhelming. It was one of the greatest moments I've ever had experiencing live music. Um, uh, I also had the sun sessions by Elvis Presley, another compilation. Um, and I, I've come very close to changing that to from Elvis and Memphis's 1969 record. Cause that's a, just a straight album, not a compilation. And it's amazing. All right. Uh, also from 76, the modern lovers. So we will have the modern lovers um, from 77, uh, Marky moon by television. So we'll be covering that. Thank goodness. It was pretty touch and go there for a while. I didn't know if it was going to happen. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, here's, here, here's, here are two that I've been really flirting with, and I finally pulled the trigger on it. Um, the Best of John Fahey, 1959 to 1977, from 1977 by John Fahey, a, a compilation of just this one of the greatest musicians in American music. Um, the American primitivism pioneer, uh, John Fahey. Um, yeah, just incredible stuff. So I wanted to shout him out because I t- we've only talked about him a little bit when we talked about Jim O'Rourke in our 1997 episode. And that compilation is, is, is really, really great, great kind of entryway into Fahey. Um, also, uh, not conventional, uh, music for 18 musicians by Steve Reich, uh, the minimalist composer who we've talked, we mentioned in our Sufjan episode, because Sufjan's also very 
you know, influenced by him. Uh, Bryce Desner has worked with him before. Um, incredible album. If you, if you haven't heard music for 18 musicians, uh, do that. And then closing out the 70s, I have um, the self-titled album from The Raincoats, um, our past guest, uh, Jen Pelly. Um, she wrote her 33 and a third book on The Raincoats. Uh, and that record is just just phenomenal just like perfect kind of late 70s punk new wave just wonderful wonderful stuff great pretty iconic cover of lola on there by the kinks uh but everything on there is amazing so that's that's my list of seven So, so you had you had twelve albums from the nineteen seventies. I counted wrong earlier. I said seventeen. I had sixteen. I had sixteen albums from the nineteen seventies. And then talk about a drop off. I went from sixteen albums in the nineteen seventies to five in the nineteen eighties. Now, a lot of that's because my favorite albums from the nineteen eighties, for the most part, we have already covered on the podcast. Um, so it's it's well worn territory. Um, but I still think these five albums from the eighties are, are worthy of our consideration and in talking about, uh, so let me go ahead and start off. Even though these are five albums from the 1980s, only two years are represented here. 1983 and 1989 from 1983, two albums, the violent films self-titled debut album and my favorite album by the police, uh, a band on the verge of breaking up and seemingly trying to kill one another. Uh, but man, did the music sound amazing, amazing. The police's synchronicity. And from 1989, three albums, the cures disintegration, uh, maybe the most important cure album uh, I, I think I probably still have a soft spot in my heart for Wish, which is the album that probably means more to me personally, but I think Disintegration is, is pretty agreeably the best album by The Cure. Um, my favorite album by the Beastie Boys, 1989's Paul's Boutique, which really um, became such a... Uh, masterclass in sampling um, in, in really kind of set a new stage for an album that sampled like that, that was that big and had that much money behind it. And then an album by a band that I, I don't think we can say enough about their influence on modern alternative music on what most of 
90s and 2000s alternative music sounded like and that of course is the pixies and their 1989 album doolittle it's only two years though that's really funny i didn't even notice that uh for me i'm starting off in 1980 with crazy rhythms by the feelies uh just a great record uh from a band from bar none records like our friends uh the paranoid style a great Um, album i can't believe that made your list i mean of course and you know We've talked about this before, how much movies influence my musical taste as well. But uh, the feelies are the house band at the dance and something wild by Jonathan Demi. And they play a couple of these songs. Uh, so that's I can't ignore the fact that the movie Something Wild also enhances uh, that album, though the movie's six years later. Um, uh, from Discord Records, uh, the first Bad Brains album and the self-titled Bad Brains Um we don't have any Discord. We, we've talked about hard rights of spring. Represent. Come on. Yeah, we we've talked about rights of spring uh, in some emo episodes when we talk about DC Punk and, and Discord records. Uh, so we got we got to mention Bad Brains here, um, and and how important they are. Yeah, in uh, a great in a truly great album. Yeah, uh, and, and you know it's you know like like Clash Records has a lot of like hard punk music, but also reggae music. Um, just super important. I mean, they, they've touched every, everyone from like hardcore punk bands, hip hop bands, even like Lil John, you know, was a huge fan of, of bad brain, you know? So it's just like, it's, it's in, it's kind of in everything, um, you know, and, and anyway, whatever. So we're not going to get to touch it, but it has to be brought up here uh, for me. Finally, some overlap. Uh, Violent Femmes, classic, great record. Um, also from 1983. So people may have noticed that neither of us have mentioned uh, Joy Division. I've never gotten into Joy Division. It's like one of my great shames as a music listener. I've never just been like big into that kind of like goth new wave stuff. However, I do like New Order. Um, but specifically, I really like Power, uh, Corruption, and Lies, their 1983 record. So I like New Order more than Joy Division, and that's easy to say since they, they just have more music. Um, but here they are, um, New Order, Power, Corruption, and Lies. Um, Age of Consent is a perfect song, one of the great opening tracks ever. Um, yeah, so Power, Corruption, and Lies. And then we're jumping to 1987. Once again, uh, Criminal Minded by Boogie Down Productions. 
aka KRS One and Scott Rock. Um, from 1988 by Sonic Youth, Daydream Nation. Uh, one of the great double LPs, one of the great alt rock, punk rock albums. Uh, just an iconic band um, and record that uh, sadly won't make the list, but will be represented here. However, we both have Doolittle by the Pixies. Um, and then I also have Paul's Boutique by Beastie Boys, even though I'm not sure that's even my favorite Beastie Boys records, but it seems like everyone agrees that it is the best one. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get into that because it also is like the underdog record of, of theirs. Uh, so I, I, I'm excited for the Beastie Boys episode because I'm pretty, I'm still kind of split on what is my favorite, but I do think that's still the best. But, you know, as someone who like likes Sandinista, I also love something like Hello Nasty, which is just like truly all over the place. Um, and I just think is like brilliant and like it feels like the most personal album from them. And I think that that really comes through. Uh, anyway, save it for that episode. Um, also from 1989, I got two more from 1989. Uh, one is uh, Stone Roses. Because we have not talked about Britpop. And that's mostly my fault because I don't really care for Britpop. Um, Different Class by Pulp is not like a big record for me. I like Blur just fine. You know, I prefer Blur to Oasis. But I'm not going to put 13 on here or the self-titled or Modern Life is Rubbish. Like, it, you know, it, I, I don't like them that much. Um, like I'll, I'll take their Greatest Hits album, but like individual albums don't mean that much to me. And Oasis, I'm not, I'm, I would never put on here. But so the Stone Roses to me are kind of like what kick off the Britpop thing anyway. And I love that record. Um and it has it's come close to being on this list because I know you've definitely had it on iterations of your fifty, mm-hmm. so it, it's come very close uh, to making the list, but it didn't, and that's fine. Uh, yeah, so I, just, I think uh, again, the Stone Roses that that debut album is just so good. There's no denying it's if we if we did 125 albums on this podcast it for sure would make the list next season. Mm-hmm. And by the way, uh, you know, you, you gave some love to blurs, uh, 2001, uh, greatest hits album. Like that's a really phenomenal collection of, I mean, mm-hmm. that's one of those collections of songs where you're like, Oh dang. Yeah. Blur wrote this and blur wrote this. Like, but blur has for me, the queen problem, which is that, their greatest hits is an undeniable great collection, but there's not like one queen album that I would be like, Oh man, that has to go on the list. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's kind of how I feel about blur. I think what's the story morning glory by Oasis is a truly great album. No matter what you think of Oasis or what you think of um, uh, Liam and Noel Gallagher and all their craziness, but that, that album in living through that album being huge in that moment. Um, it, it was the, it was the Zenith of Brit pop. Um, 
and probably led immediately to its death, but a truly, truly great album. Um, and that would probably get nominated for me next season if we were going to do a fifth season of the podcast. Yeah. But I think where we're at right now, Stone Roses doesn't make it, Blur doesn't make it, Oasis doesn't make it, and uh, Super Furry Animals. Yeah, I, I think I think that I think the totality of talking about Britpop is the mentions that when when we talked about for all intents and purposes, like OK Computer, kind of being the end of Britpop. Yeah, yeah, like the Bims kind of, well, definitely Pablo Honey was like, this is pretty Britpop, actually. And then the Bims was like, what if we heighten this? And then OK Computer is like, what if we just make them, put them all to shame? Yeah. You yeah. Know, that, that's just what happened. But before all that happened, Stone Roses, I mean, that, that album just towers over all of like the Britpop like classics. Like it does. I'm sorry, that album is fantastic. And you said you had one more album from 1989. I had one more, and it is Disintegration by The Cure, which, again, is a tough one because I feel like there's like a really good case for uh, pornography from 1982 or 83 because yeah. I think that's their first like Stone Cold great record start to finish. Yeah, and then Head um, on the Door, which is a really great follow-up to that. And Head on the Door has, like, my favorite Cure song of all time on it. Um, and But this one is, like, it's the Paul's Boutique thing. It's like, okay, but this is the best one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but then again, there's also things like Trust and, like, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, where it's like, man, but, like, it's that thing where it's just like, man, I could take my favorite songs from a few of these and have, like, a 14-track perfect perfect album yeah. you know um that not i don't want to just paint them just as a greatest hits band because they're all of the records 90 mm, percent of the records are like really yeah very 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 good great or just like near nearly perfect but uh yeah i don't know but also like it was a big year recently for the cure with them going back on tour so you know, getting ready for this list. I, and I, and I listened to their discography again. So I was just like, so bought in on the cure. And so I'm all in, I'm, I'm ready to just commit to disintegration and with, with, with a little bit of hesitation, but I know that when we get to that episode, I'm going to be so thrilled to, to have listened to nothing but the cure for a week. So really, for neither one of us having a ton of '80s albums, we had a lot of crossover. So I mean, we're we're gonna get we're gonna get four great episodes out of the '80s, which I'm excited about. 
Now for the nineties, which again, I was born in 1980. So the most influ I don't know if influential is right, but the year that the years that the music coming out was so important to me, that kind of 13 to 19 year old period was all nineties music. And so I am definitely a fan of nineties music and the eight albums that I have nominated from the nineties, uh, absolutely speak to that. So beginning in 1990, a compilation of her music from the eighties, Madonna's the immaculate collection. Uh, I have gone back and forth on Madonna. I think it is undeniable how great she was as a pop artist in the 1980s. There's not a single album of hers from the 80s that I would nominate, but the Immaculate Collection from 1990 uh, is just chock full of so many great hits, and it kind of defines what the 80s sounded like. So from 1990, I'm going with Madonna's Immaculate Collection, and then beginning in the years that were most important to me, 1993 the album that is almost singularly responsible for me being a guitar player today, the smashing pumpkins Siamese dream, but also in 1993, a young artist went into a studio with Steve Albini and came out with an album called rid of me. That's right. From 1993, PJ Harvey's Rid of Me, her truly great alternative rock album. From 1994, uh, maybe the album that defined trip hop in what that sound would become, Portishead's Dummy, uh, a spooky album and one that I still love to this day. From 1994 as well, Jeff Buckley's Grace, probably the most beautiful voice on any man in my lifetime, Jeff Buckley, on his 1994 debut album, Grace. From 1995, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, um, which is probably currently one of maybe just a handful of the greatest selling albums of all time that are not on our list. Uh, Jagged Little Pill, a top 10 selling album of all time uh, from 1995. From 1998, uh, Neutral Milk Hotel's Aeroplane Over the Sea. And finally, from 1999, my beloved Tom Waits in my favorite album of his, I've nominated it for four seasons in a row, Mule Variations. Never 
Micaiah, what does your 90s list look like? Yeah, so I I have six. Uh, so not, you know, not as much, but not, not that far away from your eight either. Um, and mine starts in 1991, uh, similar to 1971, kind of one of the great years. Uh, and it's Loveless by my bloody Valentine. Um, kind of the ultimate shoegaze album, uh, which we will not be discussing. But which, in in really, let's be honest, you and I as two guitar players, if we talked about Loveless, it would really turn into an entire episode talking about guitar pedals. I like that album, and I've heard people talk about it on podcasts a lot. And even I don't like it because I'm just like, those are conversations that like listening to that you're not a part of, or you're just like, you guys move on. No one will, I I don't feel like a lot of people really know how to talk about either because there's just so much. The, the the sounds are so wild. It, like, and it, it's it's just, it, it's a very hard album to, it's, it's better to experience than to talk about for sure. And even write about, you know, it's it's a hard one to to articulate what it really even is. You know, but I mean, that's, that's the famous saying that writing about music is like dancing about architecture. And that is certainly true about Loveless and My Bloody Valentine. Shocking um, and yet not surprising because you've been on the record about this one. But for me, um, from 1994, another one of the great music years, apparently, uh, Illmatic by Nas which you've said before that just doesn't connect with you, um, which is confusing, but nevertheless, uh, there it is for me. We I talked about this album in our 1997 album. It's one, I, I, it's one I've gone back and forth on, but for me, uh, Lonesome Crowded West uh, by Modest Mouse. And I, I, had, I had it as Moon in Antarctica for so long. And I've I've always been split, so I really need that episode to figure out where I am with those two records and Modest Mouse, um, because I am I am they're so it's Revolver Sergeant Pepper like it's so even matched for me that I'm gonna have to talk about the two of them together side by side to to really know. Um, and then also from 1998 in the airplane over the sea, so we'll be talking about that even though I'm not sure that's even my favorite record from the elephant six. Nevertheless, I, it's hard to deny that that is one of the most important, like independent or alternative rock records of the last 25 years. I mean, it like so highly influential, uh, it cannot be denied and it will not be denied, not on this podcast. Um, then from 1999, I have keep it like a secret. But built this bill, uh, an incredible, incredible alternative rock record. Um, just one of the best, one of my 
an album that has just like grown and grown for me uh, recently, really. Uh, love it so much. Um, and then finally, 69 Love Songs by The Magnetic Fields, the, the three CD, you know, box set of 69 Love Songs. It, it, I mean, it, if any album on my list delivers on its premise, it's 69 Love Songs. I think we may end up talking we may end up talking about three total between our two lists and the reason I know that is because we're going to go now into the 2000s I have four albums from the 2000s but my first from from the year 2000 means that we have another head-to-head coming up because I nominated Modest Mouse to 2000 album The Moon and Antarctica so we will be going head to head the Lonesome Crowded West versus the Moon in Antarctica. From 2005, I have two albums Kanye West's second album, the album Late Registration. From 2005, an al- a year in which he released two albums on the same day. I'm talking about Connor Oberst in Bright Eyes. I'm wide awake. It's morning. And then finally, from 2009, one of the albums that was a slow burn for me, an album that I liked the year that it came out and found myself going back to time and time and time again, and an album that has always paid dividends on repeated listenings by the French band Phoenix, Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix from 2009. So four albums from me from the 2000s.
Yeah, Phoenix, that, that record was so big my freshman year of college when I moved to St. Augustine, around the time I met you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, well, there's a few. I mean, the first Vampire Weekend album was 2008. Yeah. Which was around the same time as Oracular Spectacular. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, dude, I mean, that is hard for me to evaluate how good the Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix is because it makes me so incredibly nostalgic. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel like I'm 18, 19, in my first dorm, in a new place. Like it, 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 I. It's hard for me to like talk about the album and not just talk about being 19. Uh, but super fun. Just uh, honestly, one of the best drum records of the last 15 years. The drums on that record are insanely good. Look at any live version of those songs. Look at the SNL performances. The drummer is bonkers. Nevertheless, not on my list. Uh, but what is uh, from the year 2000? And then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out by Yola Tango, which I got to write about for Bandbox. Um, maybe I, I could have put Painful from them. I could have put, um, you know, and uh, I can hear the heart beating as one. But this record of theirs is my favorite. And I kind of got the hint that you weren't going to have them on there. So I might as well just gone with my favorite um, instead of what people generally consider the best. Um, from 2001, Vespertine by Bjork. Well, I'm surprised we're not going to have on here because I, I know that you would, um, a lot of your iterations had had a post yeah on your list yeah post post is an album that is very important to me and in an album i truly love um ultimately the reason that i didn't include post in my 90s list is um i got it on vinyl early last year and an album that i had only ever listened to on cd but having it on vinyl made me realize something that i had never really thought much about before which is that post is a remarkably front-loaded album like it it has a perfect side a the first five songs of that album are i mean some of the best bjork ever wrote um but the drop off on the b side of that album is sharp yeah well that's why i picked vespertine and then i probably would have gotten homogenic and then maybe even medulla before post um Bjork is great. Everyone should love Bjork. I think most people do, but some people are afraid to admit it. Open your hearts. Love Bjork. Um, From 2002, um, from Bright Eyes, and I went back and forth because I'm like, are we going to be... Whatever. Lifted or the stories in the soil. Uh, Put your ear to the ground. Keep your ear to the ground. Uh, by Bright Eyes, which I think is kind of the ultimate Saddle Creek album. It's kind of the ultimate kind of Saddle Creek, like at that time. It's, it's, it's such a perfect snapshot mm-hmm. of, of what was happening at that time in Omaha, Nebraska. And I, there's just something so interesting to me about emo and country and how similar they are. Yeah. And I want to open up that discussion about 
how emo people and emo artists eventually get more and more influenced by country music especially midwestern emo and in and so like i i think one of the things that is true obviously uh my love for kansas city uh kansas city's own the get up kids and the uh emo scene that came out that midwestern emo scene that came out of lawrence kansas um i think there is a tremendous scene that sprang up around the same time in omaha nebraska and you know it's it's not surprising that all of those artists uh whether it was kansas whether it was in nebraska how much they all ended up kind of sounding like midwestern country as much as they did emo music um but I'm I'm with you. I I think Lifted is the is the kind of definitive Saddle Creek recording. Uh, both of the 2005 Bright Eyes albums sound like New York, which is where they were written and recorded. And so, in many ways, Lifted is kind of the end of the Omaha scene. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm really excited to talk about that because even contemporary emo bands have been making like a more country tinged push and other Saddle Creek bands um, who we will talk about. Um, anyway, my pick from 2006 is Donuts by Jay Dilla, um, who is a producer who we have talked about uh, before, who ended up working with artists that we've talked about, but not on the albums we discussed. So he, he worked with tribe and day law, but not on the records that we talked about. Cause it's, it's the earlier stuff. And of course the stuff with a uh, far side is amazing. Uh, you know, I mean, just, and, and common, as I mentioned, and Kanye, this is one of his heroes and um, you know, the common phrase, I don't know even who coined it, probably uh, Questlove. Uh, he's your favorite producer's favorite producer. You know, so and this is him taking on is actually is donuts is weird because it's not the typical Dilla style. It's him taking what was popular at the time that Kanye was popularizing and then doing his take on it. Was be like just say so you know I'm I'm still the best and better at it than everyone else. Um, so it's 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 an interesting record. Um, any Dilla album there there are plenty. Um, not just the stuff that he produced for other people, but uh, other records of his. They're just just beats that are amazing and out there. Really swerving here. Uh, Childish Prodigy by Kurt Vile uh, from 2009. I think it's uh, my my favorite album from him. Waking on a Pretty Days and uh, Smoking Around My Halo uh, are probably the, the two bigger albums but childish prodigy is the one i go to and i think kurt vile has been one of the kind of key artists of the 21st century so far like other people that we've talked about um kind of you know kind of a, a millennial neil young if, if if mj linderman is becoming the gen z neil young um, Kurt Vile may be the Neil Young of his generation, but who's also very much in, equally influenced by John Prine. So just a very interesting guitar player and songwriter. And, um, you know, also very into you know, Bruce Springsteen is another hero of his, but all through like all of that is being going through the same funnel 
it's going in with Dinosaur Jr. and Sonic Youth. So it just comes out really interesting. Someone who really likes folk and country music um, being filtered at the same time as like psychedelic music and closed out guitars and punk music you know so it it's a great combination it's something that i think uh speaks really you know well to what 21st century music is like so i want to represent that here maybe in my 2000s Micaiah, I've only got three albums left, two from the 2010s and one from the 2020s. Um, So I'm going to just put them together. From 2013, the debut album from the Heim sisters, Days Are Gone. Um, A a truly great album that is one of... Uh, one of my favorites, I think, I think one of my top 50 favorite albums to listen to, um, when I was doing my nineties list, I wrestled with, with this. Cause one of the things that we haven't had so far on the podcast is we have not had a musical cast recording. Um, so we, we've, we've had no musical theater represented and so when i was doing my 90s list i thought a lot about doing the original cast recording of rent um but one of the things that uh, in in maybe this is just awful of me but as much as i loved rent in the 90s in the early 2000s when uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the guys behind South Park, did Team America World Police, uh, the spoof version of the songs they did from like their fake version of Rent in that movie, it it re- it was so funny and so effectively made fun of how kind of AIDS specific Rent is. Everyone has AIDS. 
And so this is the end of our story. And everyone is dead from AIDS. It took from me my best friend, my only true pal, my only bright star. Well, I'm gonna march on Washington, lead the fight and charge the brigades. There's a hero inside of all of us. I'll make them see everyone has AIDS. My father, AIDS. My sister, AIDS. My uncle and my cousin and her best friend. Into thinking about wanting to have a musical cast recording album, the obvious choice, if it wasn't going to be Rent, is uh, maybe the best produced cast recording album there has ever been. And it gives us a chance again to shout out some of the most influential people on our podcast who are not going to have an album on our podcast. The Roots crew, I, of course, am talking about Lin-Manuel Miranda's 2015 Hamilton cast recording. Um, again, a beautiful, uh, the, the album and the musical that took the world by storm in 2015 and did not let go. I challenge you to this very day to listen to the entirety of this cast recording from start to finish and not cry when she sings the orphanage in the last song. And then finally, our album of the year from 2022, our You Forgot One podcast album of the year from 2022. It's undeniable. It's it's a year and a half now that I've had for it to continue to prove the test of time. And so I can't deny it any longer. My 50th album, Big Thieves, Dragon, New, Warm, Mountain, I Believe in You from 2022. And Micaiah, that rounds out my list. What do you have from the 2010s and 2020s? I want to talk about Hamilton. I mean, thankfully, the roots are all over voodoo. I mean, so to the point to where, like, like you were saying, like with Coltrane being all over kind of blues, like, well, the roots are all over the, uh, you know what I mean? So it's just like, they're, they're actually pretty well represented. Um, but uh, Hamilton, yeah, I, I mean, it narrowly missed making my list at the double CD. Anyway, who cares? Because uh, it's not on the list. So for my uh, 2010s, one, two, three, just three records from the 2010s. And then another three, one, two, no, four from the 2020s. Wow. Okay. Uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's where we're going with. Okay. Um, so, so very similar to Childish Prodigy by Kurt Weill, I have Slave Ambient the 2011 album from the war on drugs. Um, I know that lost in the dream is kind of the 2014 album is kind of like the, no, that's the best one. And that's really where they broke was with that record. Um, but a deeper understanding was the first album I heard. That was like, I love this. I like the other stuff. I love this. A deeper understanding I think is their best album without fall without, without question. It's incredible, but but Slave Ambient has been the one that I keep returning to quite obsessively, uh, and it's a good pair. I mean, Kurt Vile, by the way, uh, used to be in the War on Drugs, 
Um, and so there, there's a lot of crossover between those early records with, with Kurt Vile and the war on drugs. So having Childish Prodigy and then Slave Ambien next to each other, it just made sense as those bands together. Um, and I, and I wanted to represent some who people who I think are some of the important artists of, you know, the 21st century, other than the who, people we've covered, like Bodie Bear, Fleet Foxes, Vampire Weekend. Um, Let England Shake, also from 2011. So we're going to have a PJ Harvey, uh, Rid of Me versus Let England Shake episode. It's going to be very exciting. Very excited to share with everyone Elvis Costello's take on the mix for Rid of Me. Uh, just a little spoiler, he hates it. Um, and Let England Shake is one of the great I think one of the, like a New Yorker review or somebody called it like, you know, like there are many people have tried the great war novel and PJ Harvey accomplished the great war album. Um, so I just, I'm very excited to talk about those two together. And um, especially talking about two albums that are that great, almost 20 years apart from each other. Yeah, and by letting the shake has completely changed her voice. And we'll get into how and why. Um, again, very excited to talk about that. Um, from 2016, my last album of the 2010s, uh, My Woman by Angel Olsen, an artist who I think has been a kind of a great, we've talked about Courtney Barnett. Um, we've mentioned like Katie Crutchfield from Axahatchee on a number of like bonus episodes. Um, and I think that Angel Olsen is kind of one of the great artists of the last 10 years or whatever. Yeah, 10 years. Yeah, because Burn Your Fire for No Witness came out in 2014, and that record is incredible. Um, My Woman is, I think, a really great record. Um, everything from 2014 to uh, Big Time from 2022 have been just incredible records from her. So I, I, my woman is one that if we had if we go in a if if we were to go another season of the podcast, my woman would make my list. And cool. by the way, so would so would Katie Crutchfield. There there'd be a Waxahachie album on my next list if we did another season. Nice. I mean, and also, I mean, for Haim, I would I would have Women in Music Part Three go up against Days Are Gone because I think that's their best album. But Days Are Gone does have a few like three singles that they released before that album or just like, okay, well, these are the three best pop songs of the decade. Like, this is amazing. Like, why aren't these as big as blank space? Why aren't these as big as call me? Maybe. I mean, like these are huge pop songs. They're just incredible that, and, and, they, and they're, they're big, but it's just like, they should be like Lord. They should be like Olivia Rodrigo and they're, and they're not. And I don't know, even with them being in licorice pizza, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know, but it also kind of works because it also kind of makes them a little bit cooler. Uh, but they've, they've played SNL anyway. Uh, and they uh, reportedly have a record that should be coming out this year. There's been a lot of talks and rumors about them having new music ready to go. Um, an incredible live band. Saw them live not too long ago. It's great. The 2020s, my last four records. Um, St. Cloud by Waxahachie who just announced a new record as well uh, out in March featuring our guy MJ Linderman and Jeff Tweedy's son uh, on the drums, uh, Spencer. So could be a cool record. Um, talk about like, again, like more punk rock people with like indie rock, punk rock roots 
leaning into country later in their careers. That's one of them, especially on this album. She like fully leans into her Lucinda influence. Um, Cerulean Salt, her 2011 record is awesome. Uh, Out in the Storm in 2017 was amazing. And then 2020 was finally the one where it's like, okay, this is an album of the year. She's always been top five albums of the year, top 10 albums of the year. And in 2020, she just, for me, just boom, that was it. Like came out the week of the pandemic. I mean, like like the Friday when it, it was like, okay, we're all on lockdown. That Friday is when that record came out. Um, you know, so it's always going to be tied. And it was my first concert after lockdown, my first concert back. So there's always going to be some special. Oh, also when I lived in St. Cloud, Florida for a little bit. So there's always going to be something extra special about that record for me. But it stands on its own without my personal context. The songs themselves are incredible. Um, from 2022, the You Forgot One album of the year. Dragon New War Mountain, I Believe in You, from the best band of the last uh, eight years, I guess it's been, um, who used to be on Saddle Creek, but left it for 4 AD. Um, I mean, this is the best time of the decade still. This is the one to beat. You know, it's this and then Renaissance, according to you know popular consensus, and like fetch the bolt cutters and St. Cloud. I mean, I think those are just like very easily the four best albums of the decade. Yeah, I guess folklore, you know, so like era defining uh, from my perspective, I guess. Um, so these two are just going to be more personal. I saw these, these artists recently and so they're on my mind, but I think they're great. And so uh, God Save the Animals by Alex G. Um, I really came on board in 2017 with Rocket which is a great album. Uh, but I think God Save the Animals is his best album start to finish. And Alex G, who we've talked about because he plays on Blonde by Frank Ocean, uh, just represents that like indie rock band camp era. Definitely a band camp guy. He kind of like was discovered and blew up there. And so representing the band camp era of indie rock um, is Alex G. And an incredible album. Um, that I, I love very much. So, and then uh, 50, I put Blue Rev by Always uh, because that was an album that I mistakenly slept on when it came out. And we've talked about them since, but seeing them, and I think that Belinda says is one of the most perfect songs that's come out um, in the last few years. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to represent some more music from this decade because I think it's been a pretty good decade so far. And um, they have three records and they're all great, but Blue Rev, I think, is uh, worth, you know, claiming early. Um, yeah, so that, that's it. That wraps my, my 50. Galloped through the violet 
select an album that the other cannot veto mm. so quite a powerful position so I, so i can think of at least five albums that i have nominated well hopefully you can think of about 25 albums well 27 I, no I, i'm thinking there are five specific albums i have nominated every single season all four years of the podcast that have never made it on and they were nominated again this time. So those albums, Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Joel's The Stranger, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, Dave Brubeck Quartet's Time Out, and the fifth album I have nominated every single season in what I am putting forward as a top 100 album that you cannot veto 1994's Grace by Jeff Buckley. That's going to be our 24th episode in our final season of the podcast. Micaiah, what will be our 25th? Our 25th will be, of course, it might not be the actual 25th episode, but the 25th album that I'm choosing right now Will be horses, the 1975 album by Patti Smith. Uh, so, I mean, I that is the one that's on there that that would embarrass me the most if we didn't have on the list. Where I'd be like, I can't believe we did all that and didn't even have horses. It was all for nothing. Like, it, I I would have felt that dramatic about it. I understand why it's important and I understand what is good about it, but there's no accounting for taste. So uh, you can just say that the rest of the music world can say, Hey Rob, you're clearly an idiot that you don't get this. And that's fine. Uh, It won't be the first or last thing I have gotten wrong on this podcast, but I just don't get it. And so I'm happy to dive well, let's in. Let's do that. Let's do, okay, so what? what is one album that you didn't even nominate in your 50? They're like, I know I should have nominated this album, but it's, I haven't gotten there with it, or I will never be there with that album. I have one. So I think, I think probably Illmatic by Nas would okay. be um, because that it's just one of those where I, man, I, I just don't get it. And it, it's one of those things like there are, 
there's nine other we've done a lot of hip-hop on our list like our 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 list has become i mean really 15 to 20 percent hip-hop albums by the time all is said and done and they're still one this season i know but but there's still another nine hip-hop albums i would nominate before illmatic and it's and again a a top 10 hip-hop album by everyone who matters in terms of what they think about it it's just it's never done anything for me um so again it's one of those things like man i wish i could get into this i wish i could like it i wish i could understand what people see in it um but that's how i feel about most of later career neil young and it's how i feel about patty smith and there's there's plenty of artists that i know why they're important it just doesn't do anything for me so i would say that um nas illmatic is mine what about you what's the one that you've never nominated you you know it should be on the list but you just can't get on board it's and it's not even that i don't like it it's just that it's never clicked with me the way that it's clicked with other people i bought the record a reissue uh because finding an original is very very hard even finding reissues is really hard but it's the 1984 record by Minutemen, double nickels on the dime which is this iconic double LP, iconic punk album. and But there's so much reverence for the band because they were just like working class kids that, you know, our this band could be your life or our band could be your life kind of ethos, which inspired so many people like Jeff Tweedy, who writes about them all the time. The untimely and very tragic death of Dee Boone helps kind of build this mythology, you know, and it's a record that they kind I of like. The importance of Mike Watt is a is kind of a definitive musician in that scene. Yeah, you know, so it's 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 I like it, but it's never been like it's never hit me like I don't know like 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 Let It Be by the Replacements or something or like early REM like it's never I'm never fully locked in with it and I and I could someday or I might not. Yeah, um, but it's it's a record that I just I I just need to spend more time with. And I also feel bad about not having like any like craft work or something, but I feel much less bad about that. Truth be told. Um, yeah. uh, hot, hot take. There are three pet shop boys albums I would put on before a single craft work album. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I get that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like Wesson girls, I think is one of the coolest and best songs ever. But like, I'm not gonna put on a whole album. Like, I get, I get so much of what I want from music in that song that like, there's kind of no need for a full album because that, that that. And I know that's like such a basic pick, but that song is good. And you know, it does that. That's that's as much of them as I as I need. Yeah. You know that 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 gets that that's enough for me. Listener, I. I'm excited about our final season. Um, we don't really know for sure what's coming next. If we're going to do a uh, You Forgot One Movies podcast, if we're just going to hang it up and uh, get back to the busyness of our lives as we both get older and take on more responsibilities, uh, we have no idea what lies ahead after 2024. But we are going to spend this year uh bringing our very best to the last season of this podcast. 
And we are so excited for it. We're excited for the journey you're going to take with us on the ride. Um, Micaiah, let's do this. For our listeners, what should they do right now if they are listening to this podcast? And don't just make it your normal plug. Let's also say there's an album they need to go out. There's a there's a book they need to go out and pre-order right now. I guess there are about three things you should do. Uh, one, leave a five-star review. Thank you very much ahead of time. Um, two, like, follow, or subscribe to the show so that when we drop new episodes, they're uploaded on your device, you know, ready to go. And three, as Rob has prompted me, uh, to remind you to pre-order my book on Sandinista by the Clash from the 33 and the 3rd series uh, by Bloomsbury Academic. You can get it from their site. Uh, you can ask your you know independent local bookstore for it. Um, I'm sure you're all internet users and know where to find books. Um, wherever books are found, you will find uh, my book, Sandinista by the Clash. Uh, very excited. It will not actually be on shelves until March, uh, March 7th, uh, but you can pre-order it now. The publisher has uh, posted on their new Instagram account that you can also follow um, a hard copy of the book that I don't have yet, but I did enjoy seeing a picture of it. That was very thrilling. Um, so it's, it's, you know, every every few months I go, oh my gosh, it's getting real now. Uh, and so that was another, it's getting real milestones. So very excited to, to have the book in my hand and for everyone to read it. And I hope they're kind to me when they do. Listener, we're so excited for this season.
Yeah, by the way, hey everyone, by the way, everyone's mom will die. Uh, this is our intro to season four. Everyone's mom will die, that's no excuse to like Hitler. Welcome to You Forgot One. Yeah, just how I have a low tolerance for fascism. Anyway, 